You're listening to the podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness from LVSportsNetwork.com, brought to you by Porta Subs. It's Unnecessary Roughness, presented by the Jewelers of Las Vegas. I completely believe that we have the quarterback that can take us where we want to go. Dak Prescott is a quarterback that can get us to the Super Bowl. That's the way that's going to be. We have uh, other quarterbacks on that roster and uh, players that uh, certainly, if something should happen to Dak, but I want to be real clear, Dak's very capable of making this team be where we want it to go. This is Unnecessary Roughness. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Here's your boy Q. Q. Jerry Jones on his weekly hit with 105.3 The Fan in Dallas talking about Dak Prescott and the fact that he can get the Cowboys to the Super Bowl. Join us now on the phone lines from the 33rdteam.com is our good friend Ari Mayrov. And Ari, we'll start right there. What did you learn from Dak Prescott Sunday night against the 49ers? And can he do what Jerry said, get the Cowboys to the Super Bowl? Yeah, Q, it's a fascinating question, which Dallas believes clearly. I mean, Jerry Jones, you know, says some things sometimes that feel a bit outlandish, but <laughs> we've seen Dak Prescott be in, you know, more than above average quarterback and has led this Cowboys team over the last two years to 12 win seasons. And I know he missed some time during that period, but he's been a good quarterback and especially in the NFC when there aren't that many good quarterbacks compared to what the AFC has, there's definitely that possibility. But Sunday night was obviously a disaster for everyone on that team. And prior to that, when you look at the team that they've played so far, the teams that they've beaten, whether it's the Giants, Jets, and Patriots, teams that are not necessarily um, amazing right now, it does make you wonder a little bit. But I'm not overly concerned with this Cowboys team. Like, the last time we were on, when I was on the show over here, I told you, like, from everything I've learned through four weeks of the year, the 49ers are legit on all three levels, and it's very, very difficult to beat them. And Dallas saw that for themselves on Sunday. So I think they'll be fine. I still believe the Cowboys are going to make the playoffs. And as we all know, once you get to the postseason, anything can happen. So I'm not overly worried about the Cowboys, but – if they're going to meet up again with the 49ers, I mean, I think most people who are football fans will probably tell you they're going to take the 49ers to win that again. Is this the point of the season now as we're heading into week six that gets started tomorrow where teams separate themselves and you really get a better understanding of who they are or who they aren't? I mean, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, after this week, we're going to start hearing a lot of trade rumblings out there. We're already starting to hear it, but mm-hmm. – Teams really start figuring out exactly where we are. Are we a team that could be competitive and make the playoffs, or are we a team that will have to strongly consider maybe moving off some pieces and getting some draft assets before the October 31 trade deadline? And what makes this year far more interesting to me and why I do believe this year's trade deadline is going to be very, very busy is simply because of all the great quarterbacks that are coming out in 2024 quarterback draft class where – if you're a team who believes you're not going to be the team this year, why not move off some pieces, get more draft picks? And similar to what Carolina did last year when they traded Christian McCaffrey, they got a two, three, four, and five, and two, it was a two, three, and four, and five for McCaffrey. And then when the offseason came, they used those picks to move up to number one and get the quarterback they wanted. So I would not be surprised if more teams do that here as we get close to the trade line. Once they realize we're not the team this year, let's move off some guys, let's get some picks, and eventually the offseason we'll have ammunition to move up. So 
this year in particular with Caleb Williams, Drake Lane, and a bunch of other quarterbacks, I think we're going to have a pretty active trade deadline once this week comes, comes to an end and teams really start figuring out where we are um, when we look around the league. Ari Mayrov from the 33rdteam.com is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. So I saw your tweet earlier about Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. They're 1-4 right now. Justin Jefferson is going to be out at least four weeks. He's on IR. And I saw where someone asked Kirk Cousins about potentially uh, you know, waiving his no-trade clauses. That's what he has. Do you expect them to make a move with Kirk Cousins, or do you think he stays in Minnesota this year? Yeah, I mean, I actually had a conversation with somebody right after I posted that, and he just wanted to know what my thoughts were on it. And I was like, listen, he didn't say no. So, like, you know, if there's a situation where Minnesota considers moving him or they get an offer they can't refuse, do they go up to Kirk and say, hey, what do you think about this, and will you go there? I still am a believer that he probably won't waive his no-trade clause simply because – He's going to become a free agent after the season. He's guaranteed to become a free agent. He essentially has a no-tag clause, and the Vikings and Cousins have not had much, if any, contract extension talks dating back to the offseason. So he knows he has an open path to free agency, and if I was to accept a trade somewhere else, that means I'm going to have a new teammates, new coaching staff, a new playbook, have to get in right away and, and prove to these guys that I can lead them to where they want me to, and if I flunk, then my entire market could could potentially decrease by millions and millions of dollars. So I just don't think it would make much sense for him to do it from a financial standpoint. But if, you know, I, I remember this with the Raiders, Jason Campbell, I believe, got an injury right before the trade deadline. And yep. all of a sudden, Carson Palmer became the, the quarterback for them. They created multiple really high picks to get in. So yep. <laughs> what if that happens a week before the trade deadline? The team become crazy aggressive to try to get Kirk Cousins, and would you agree with that? So I feel like that's the only situation where it could become a possibility, but um, obviously that's a few weeks from now. But just, you know, logistically speaking, I don't think it makes much sense for him on a personal level. Man, you bring up that team led by Jason Campbell and Hugh Jackson was the head coach. I thought that team had a chance to be really good, but that injury really derailed the season. That was two first-round picks they gave up for Curse of Palmer. That was, wow. yeah, yep. that, that didn't work out too well. So there's that. Ari Mayrov is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary roughness. Speaking of the Raiders, they host the Patriots this upcoming uh, Sunday. The Patriots are 1-4. The Raiders are 2-3. But the Patriots are really, I feel like, struggling in a bad way. They haven't scored an offensive touchdown in 34 drives. Drives. Uh, what is going on? What do you think the, the, the biggest problem is in New England for their uh, lack of being able to score right now? I mean, it's really there, there are many layers to all of this. I mean, the Patriots feel like they're still, you know, Bill is obviously there, still there, but they're like kind of operating in a way where it's still the old Patriots. Like, we could just figure it out with what we have. Like, look at that receiving core, look at the offensive line. I mean, they're operating with an offensive line as if Dante Skarniecki is still coaching them. They have these receivers who they just think Tom Brady's still a quarterback and can make it work. And it's like, ask this question to yourself, like how many of these Patriots players right now on this roster are actually core players who are still going to be there like three years from now? Like there aren't right. really many guys on this roster. It's like, it's a very underwhelming roster and everyone just goes into every year saying, you know what? They still have Bill and, you know, they've won for so long and they'll just figure it out. And at some point it's like, no, no, they're not. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it, we're finally seeing that right now. And these last two weeks have been just atrocious. And it looks like, you know, for all the Boston fans, like, welcome to the rest of all the NFL fans who have been, you know, <laughs> experiencing this for the last 20 years. So, like, 
if you don't have a good roster, this is what it feels like. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's basically what it is right now. And I really don't know what the fix is. I mean, Bill O'Brien and Bill Belichick were both asked over the last couple of days if Mac Jones is still the quarterback. They're going to stick by him right now. I have thought about it a little bit. Like, do they consider trying Bailey Zappi for a week and seeing if that maybe gives them a, a spark for, like, Juju is one of the receivers. I mean, you have Kendrick Bourne. Like, these aren't guys that really could elevate a young quarterback like Mac Jones, and it's clearly affecting him right now, and it's just not working. And losing Judon and Christian Gonzalez on the defensive side is not helping either. So they're in for a pretty long year here in New England. I don't think it's really getting any better anytime soon. You mentioned Bill Belichick, and, well, they'll figure it out because they have Bill Belichick. That's what everyone believes. He's the personnel guy. Do they have Bill Belichick next season, or is he there without the personnel uh, title as well? Yeah, you know, I think that's what ended up happening to Bill Parcells, if I'm not mistaken, where eventually it was, are you going to, you know, you have the coaching side and the personnel side, give up one of them, and he decided he's not going to do it. I have wondered if Robert Kraft maybe approaches him and says, listen, like the roster we've put together, really, even when Brady was still here for that final year, it's been not so great, and really nothing has really improved ever since. Will you be willing that, you know, you're not going to be here forever. Eventually you're, you're going to move on from football. Like, let's at least get a personnel guy here who's going to lead us forward. You'll still be the coach, and let's just do that. I don't know if Bill would agree to that because I think Bill wants to control everything, but Robert Kraft has to strongly think about it. And I'm sure that might be a conversation at the end of the year considering the way things are going right now. And I don't know if Bill would accept it, but all the rumors about, you know, Bill going to, I don't know, the Chargers, the Commanders, or Robert Kraft firing him, I just I have a hard time thinking that would happen. But I think there are going to be some hard conversations that are needed to happen um, there in New England after the year about figuring out what are we going to do once it's 2025, 2026, and Bill actually isn't here. We actually have to have an actual future plan here, and let's actually discuss it with Bill and try to move forward from there. Ari Mayrov, 33rdteam.com, is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness, talking all things NFL. How about in Denver? Uh, we saw Sean Payton get all, get all over Russell Wilson. Russell didn't really respond too much. Does that look like a marriage that is bound for divorce sooner rather than later? Well, the contract is still there, and that's, that's going to be something that you really can't move on from for, I believe, unless they're willing to take on a hefty dead money amount. I think they're going to have to have it for one more year. But the problem in Denver, at least this year, they are not really solely on Russell Wilson the way it probably was last year. I mean, that defense has been really leaky, and we've already seen them trade Randy Gregory and, you know, Frank Clark, for example. I know he's listed with an illness and not playing tomorrow night. I have a feeling there's something going on over there. He could be up next on the trade market. If they lose this game to Kansas City tomorrow night, I could see them really considering to just blow it up a little bit and move on from some more players and add some more draft picks, whether that's Judy, Sutton, Garrett Bowles, Kareem Jackson. Uh, I mentioned Frank Clark. They already moved on from Randy Gregory. I mean, these guys were all before Sean Payton. Sean Payton clearly has full control there, even though there's a GM in George Payton and Sean has taken over there. So if they lose this game tomorrow night, I think there's going to be some significant movement going on in Denver. But so far, like, 
Russell Wilson has not been Seattle Russell Wilson, but he also hasn't been what last year Russell Wilson was. So I think it's not something that is necessarily they're just going to blow it up with him as well and take on significant dead money. We'll see how he does tomorrow night. We'll see how he does the rest of the year. But I think just looking at where he was last year and where he is so far this year, it's not really comparable. And I don't think it would make too much sense right now to move on from him as well at the end of the year if this is how it's playing. Like, I think that is sustainable for one more year and try to keep him around. But, again, there's a lot of season left of there. Just got a couple more questions for you. I wanted to ask you about the Jaguars playing in London back-to-back weeks. Did you see that as a competitive advantage for them as they took on Buffalo this past week? I, I mean, I, I don't know how you could argue it wasn't. I mean, they're they're you know, treating it like a regular game week as if we have back-to-back home games. Right. And Buffalo is coming in on a Thursday with, um, you know, Von Miller, is he playing, not playing? Now we have to take this long flight as well on top of all of it. I mean, it has to be an advantage for them. And, listen, when they got the schedule initially, I know, obviously, their owner, um, Tony Khan, um, not Tony Khan, but um, Shad Khan, his son is Tony, but um, he, of course, wants his team to play in London, and he was fine going back-to-back. But I'm sure if you're like Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, like, oh, two, two weeks in a row. But once you're there, it's like, let's just treat this like it's normal. And clearly they did, and it made a difference for them. But, um I mean, it has to be, and I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL maybe does it again next year, frankly, mm-hmm. because their owner is clearly fine with it. It works for them this year. And on top of that, and as you know, too, the NFL is making a pretty strong push internationally, and they want to make some noise over there. And um, they're going to keep on pushing that as well. Um, I did see there was um, Roger Goodell did a press conference there when, and was asked, um, I don't know if it was a press conference, it was, it was a Q&A with fans, and was asked if there could ever be a Super Bowl in London, and his answer was not no. He said it's not going to happen anytime soon, but he left that door open as well. So the NFL is trying to make moves down there in London, and if it worked for Jacksonville and Shad Khan was fine with it, I wouldn't be surprised if we just keep on doing it um, moving forward. Final question for you. The trade deadline, as you mentioned, comes up October 31st. Is there any names in particular that you really are kind of eyeing right now? Like, you know what, let me see what goes on with their team the next couple of weeks just to see if they'll be willing to unload on somebody. So I actually have an article coming out next week of trade candidates. Nice. Um, and we'll put it up on the website. The one that I've been working on that I'm very, very, very curious about is in Washington where they have two pass rushers, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, both of them are in the final year of their contract. That means you could only franchise tag one of them at the end of the year, and the mm-hmm. other one didn't get to free agency. And the one, that, and the reason why that one is super interesting to me, and probably the average fans would not know this, is that both of them are repped by the same agent, which tells me that agent knows that I have one of these guys getting to the open market, and these guys never make it to the open market. Now, if you're Washington, you're going to be like, listen, we're, we can't keep both of them. One of them is probably going to leave. We've lost three in a row. We just lost to the Bears, who are 0-4. It was disgusting at home. If they keep on losing, do they consider moving one of those guys just to get some draft picks? And they could be one of those teams who could be looking for a quarterback in the draft as well. And with their new owner, Josh Harris, who everybody knows, he, he's an owner in Philadelphia. He was part of the guys who did the trust the process movement with the 76ers. Maybe he wants to get one of those young quarterbacks. Do they consider moving one of those pass rushers? And they could probably get a high draft pick for one of them if they move them. So I think that's the most intriguing one for me. If Washington keeps on losing, let's keep an eye on those pass rushers there in Washington and see what happens.
I love it. I love it. And I'll definitely be paying attention to that article that you drop next week on the 33rdteam.com. I tell you all the time, the website is fantastic. It's my go-to spot, and you're my go-to guy. Ari, fantastic stuff as always, my man. Definitely appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Absolutely. Anytime, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Ari Mayrov right there. Great stuff. Great little nugget and something to look out for, too, on the website, 33rdteam.com. They do a fantastic job. Ari on Twitter is at MySportsUpdate. Now, our Ari on Twitter is at uh, Ari Produces, but Ari Mayrov is at MySportsUpdate. I know it's hard to keep all these Ari's separate, but we're going to do our best around here. We're going to try to do what we do. Uh, don't start hitting up uh, our Ari and being like, hey, man, uh, what article you got coming out? Because he'd be like, nah, man, I'm – I'm about to drop some hot bars on this uh, this uh, intro that I got for the show. <laughs> you can tell the, tell the difference because his his Twitter is amazing. Uh, yeah, the stuff he presents. So yeah, there's a lot of great nuggets that, that he drops out there. I'm always checking that out. And like I said, man, I, no BS when I tell you that I'm checking out the website, uh, the 33rdteam.com, all the time. I definitely am. They matter of fact, sometimes they'll just hit me with some nuggets. They'll send me a DM on Twitter and be like, "Hey, here's something that I think will be interesting for your audience." And I'm just, man, good looking out. <laughs> and they've got some greats there, like Rich Gannon. You know, he's part of my 33rdteam.com. Uh, Mike Martz, who's been on the show multiple times, he's part of their, uh, you know, their presentation. They've got plenty of people. Uh, Trey Trey Wingo's part of it. I mean, they've got the guy, the list goes on and on and on and on. A lot of great minds uh, do work there at uh, the33rdteam.com. So check them out on their website. 317 is the time. Do want to take you inside the Raiders locker room? Vinny Bonsignor sent us over some sound from earlier today. It's so weird, man. It's already a Wednesday, and we're just you know, kind of turning the page, starting to turn the page on this game that was on Monday. It just seems like my whole week is already thrown off, but that's what happens with Monday Night Football. So Vinny had an opportunity to get inside the locker earlier, uh, locker room earlier today. I don't think he was inside the locker. That would have been kind of uncomfortable. But in the locker room and uh, had a, a couple minutes to catch up with uh, Jacoby Myers. Seems like Jimmy has a level of trust with you out there in big moments where it's third down, red zone. How have you guys developed a relationship? You, know, you haven't known each other that long, but like a pretty, pretty good connection so far. Uh, yeah, I would say so. That was something that was kind of instilled into me early in the league, just being somebody that's trustworthy every play. So I try to go out there and do that every play, like I said. It, are, I mean, are you playing the best ball of your career, or are we, are we just seeing the production on the, on the stat sheet? Honestly, that's up for y'all to decide, really. You know, so I'm just out there doing what I like to do. So if it's the best, it's the best. If it ain't, it ain't. How much have you been driven by being undrafted? A lot. You know what I mean? A whole bunch for sure. I mean, there's definitely other factors out there. It's a whole bunch of things that kind of motivate me, but that's something I'll probably never forget for sure. Do you have any sort of extra motivation going into this game? I know you said, you know, you got to, obviously that tweet that, that went kind of viral this offseason. You said you were kind of just messing around. But is there any extra juice going against the team that, you know, you used to play for? Nah, I don't, I'm not a dude who probably need a lot more motivation than what I already have. So I'm just glad there be me. I just enjoy it as it comes to me. I know I brought it up when you first came here, but uh, I'm sure the, the tape of last year's game has popped up by this week as well. Have, mm. have you been taking some grief from anybody from last year? Of course, I get the jokes. I probably get a joke like that once a day at this point, so I'm just rolling with the punch. When you see the performance the Patriots put on against the Saints, does that kind of give you any extra juice as well to see that they were shut out? Nah, I mean, if anything, it makes me feel bad for them. Like I said, I got a lot of friends, a lot of family over there, so... I want them to play best ball. I want us to play our best ball. You know what I'm saying? It's really just about inspiring kids and everybody else who's watching. So I'm going to go out there and try to put my best foot forward. I hope they do the same. How much energy does it give you seeing what the defense is doing right now on that side of the field? Oh, it's exciting. You know what I mean? we just we kind of just trying to get our perfect game, get a good game for us. But we feel like everybody's helping everybody. You know, the defense and offense, offense helping special teams and vice versa. So 
We're just trying to put our best stuff out there. Jacoby Myers right there. You can hear a little uh, cornhole going on in the background inside the Raiders locker room. They have plenty of different games and activities inside uh, the practice facility and inside their their locker room. But Jacoby Myers has been a hell of a player, right? A really good uh, you know one-two punch when it comes to him and Devontae Adams. He stepped up and he had a big game on Monday night against the Green Bay Packers and is going to be looking to have a big game on Sunday against the Patriots. But he's not the only one that's going to look to have a big game. Everyone on that Raiders uh, offense is going to look to have a big game against the Patriots. Not because the Patriots are soft and they're not going to be able to stop them, but this offense needs to get jump-started. We spent a lot of time on the show today talking about how to jump-start this offense, what they've got to do to get things going. They're just not where they need to be. 15.8 points per game is not going to get it done. I know another player inside that locker room that had a little bit of success you saw on Monday night, got his really his first couple catches uh, on, uh, on Monday night, uh, at least uh, – Looked like multiple looks on Monday night from Jimmy G, and that was tight end Michael Mayer. Uh, Vinny did get a chance to catch up with him here in the Raiders locker room. Here's that conversation as well. First play of the game, I think it was. Yeah. Uh-huh. How good did that feel just yeah. to kind of get involved that way? It felt good. It felt good. Um, you know, I felt like yesterday or two days ago, whenever the game was, I had uh, I had a lot of good confidence out there. I felt like my blocking was tremendously better than it has been. Um and I feel like I'm really starting to play like myself, starting to feel like myself again. Um, so just got to keep doing what they're asking me to do, keep working hard, keep coming to practice, and keep getting better. What's your mindset when the ball's in your hands? I think it could be a multitude of things. Either run a guy over, try to juke a guy, or hurdle a guy. I did some hurdles in college. I don't know how much that'll work here in the NFL. I've, <laughs> I've got a chance to try that yet. But, um, you know, advance the ball as far as I can. Try to get as many yards as I can. The physicality that you bring uh, to the position, do you feel like that can, A, rub off on an offense, but also set a tone and send a message? 100%. To the 100%. Um, I think you can set a tone blocking, too. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. So whether I have the ball in my hand and I'm trying to truck somebody or stiff arm somebody or I'm trying to pancake somebody to the ground, I think that sets a tone for the offense. I think that sends a message to the defense we're playing and just our overall energy. Jimmy said that part of all of this is just building trust and building confidence in each other. You getting the job done, does that further that step? 100%. I think whether it's getting the job done in the run game uh, for Josh to believe in me or getting the job done in the pass game for Jimmy to believe in me and be able to throw it up there for me to get it um, and kind of have that trust, you know, wherever this ball goes, I trust that, you know, Mike's going to go up and get it. There you go. Michael Mayer, rookie tight end, and he just sounds more confident. He just sounds a lot more confident. It sounds like he's getting comfortable, and that's a good thing. It's only been five weeks in his NFL career. So if he's getting comfortable now, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to, to get lathered up and get going. That's a good thing. I think he could be a hell of a player, and I hope that he keeps, continues to get some looks you know, from Jimmy, and that might help the offense as well. And Vinny asked a great question about you know, being physical. Does that kind of set the tone and get the rest of the offensive players going? It does when Josh Jacobs does it. I, I love it. When, when Michael Mayer finished those two catches that he had on Monday night and he finished them strong, tried to run through someone's face, like Marshawn Lynch would say, even though he used extra words in that, I'm not going to say on the radio because I don't want to send Ari into a tizzy trying to dump it. He, he, he ran hard. He ran physical. And that, that can get you fired up if you see that as a player. And, and like I said, Josh Jacobs says it all the time. I can run around a guy or I can run through a guy, Q. And when I run through a guy, it gets the rest of my players and the rest of my teammates all fired up. Let's, uh, let's go out to the phone lines real quick. Let's go out to New Jersey and talk to our guy, Mitch. Mitch, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Hey, Q. How you doing, buddy? I'm blessed, brother. Uh, heating his car is working fine, 63, because you never have to worry about the heat in your car. You don't need it. Um, we got to get the offense going. I mean, Michael May can't help but be physically 6'4", 265, 
Mm-hmm. Like the first discussion, I'm surprised he wasn't a first round pick, right? Yep. Um, this is a perfect team. Uh, that that quarterback draft with, with Page or Jones turned out to be not too good. And there was one more thing I had to say. I have to say, right? Um, and it's just a luck that uh, Coach uh, Belichick, he's going to want up with Caleb Williams and he'll have another good quarterback for another 20 years. He owes Tommy Brady big time, 20% of his, his salary for this year. He should get to Tommy Brady. Shows you how much good, how good Tom Brady was for. It was it was Brady, not Belichick. What do you think? I mean, anyway. there was a lot of it was a lot of Brady. Brady had a lot of success. Thanks for the call. Yeah, Brady uh, obviously had a lot of success, and and a great quarterback is going to do that. If you have a great quarterback, you have a great opportunity to go out there and and, and really shine. And you know, I, I don't sign up for the it was only Brady. Uh, and it wasn't Belichick. It wasn't McDaniel's. It wasn't their defense. It wasn't. I mean, they had teams. They had really good teams, even though the talent might not have been, you know, the upper echelon of talent. When you when you have the quarterback that makes everyone around him better, then that that just does exactly that. That that helps out. And that was the one thing that we always could say about Tom Brady. And I to this day, I'll go to my grave and tell you that I feel like Tom Brady makes everyone in whatever building he's in better. It's just that simple. When he went to Tampa Bay, everybody was a lot better as far as I'm concerned. Offensive line blocked a little bit better. Running backs ran a little bit harder. Wide receivers tried to catch that ball a little bit more, right? I mean, just everyone, because you're playing with that dude. If you're just playing with a dude, you might not give that same effort that you would give with the guy that you don't want to disappoint, the guy that you don't want to let down, the guy that you don't want to say, hey, man, you know, you got to step your game up, right? I mean, you, you want to be able to, to shine. So everyone, coaches as well, they want, to, they want to coach it up and they want to call the perfect game for that dude. Right when you're that dude, you just—it's a different level than when you're just a dude or just a guy. Right, a jag, just another guy. You don't want to be just another guy. You want to be the dude. There's a big difference. Three twenty-five is the time, Mitch. Thanks for the call. I do appreciate you coming up next. We'll talk to Paloma Villacana about the Aces. They got Game Two of the WNBA Finals going on this evening at the Michelob Ultra Arena. Plus, of course, we got to talk to her about the UNLV Rebels as they travel to Reno, the Battle of the Fremont Cannon. Can they get win number five this season? Almost become bowl eligible. We'll do all that next here on Radio Nation Radio nine twenty. This podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness on LVSportsNetwork.com is brought to you by Porta Subs. Make sure you check out Porta Subs' six-foot party trays. They're perfect for game days. You'll get your choice of three made-to-order classic subs made with premium meats and cheese on your choice of fresh-baked bread, loaded with fresh veggies, toppings, and sauces. Game day six-foot trays serve 12 to 16 people, so you can sit back and enjoy the game. Available at all Las Vegas area Porta Subs, neighborhood sandwich shops, order ahead at PortaSubs.com. There's Jackie, shot fake, back door, cut, Chelsea Gray to Jackie Young, timeout New York, this place is going ballistic, Chelsea Gray says, get that camera rolling baby, Mark Davis on his feet, everybody on their feet, aces are blowing out the Liberty. It's Paloma Villacana from Fox 5 on Unnecessary Roughness. You heard T.C. Martin on the call right there. Chelsea Gray with the bucket, and it was, became a blowout, and it did. 
as the Aces got the victory in the WNBA Finals game number one at T-Mobile. At Michelob Ultra Arena, man, I'm trying to put them in the big stage in T-Mobile. I'm watching the Golden Knights on uh, <laughs> on Tuesday night, and I'm trying to put the Aces back into T-Mobile, but they were at Michelob Ultra Arena where they will be tonight in Game 2. Paloma Villacana joins us now on the phone lines to talk about those Aces, and it was close early, but then the Aces pulled away. Paloma, how, uh, how surprised were you that it, that game turned into a blowout like it did? Oh, not surprised at all. I mean, this is the defending champs you're talking about that are just two wins away from – bringing another title to Las Vegas, and I've been saying this all week long, you can really feel the championship energy in Las Vegas with the Golden Knights unveiling their banner last night. Mm -hmm. Such a special moment. Uh, You had a big Raiders Monday night win here in Las Vegas, and now the Aces are getting warmed up for Game 2 against the Liberty, sitting courtside here at Michelob Ultra Arena, and it's super excited to see the entire arena with nothing but rally towels on every single chair. Uh, the Aces are getting out here, getting ready, warmed up. Um, but it was it was a big game one on Sunday. Yeah. You had LeBron James, Tom Brady in the house. I mean, it was a star-studded game one. But for Jackie Young and Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum to have a big game and, and put up 26 points and really just finish strong and, and then close out down the stretch, I think that that's important when you are facing such a talented team like the Liberty um, you know, they have so many weapons on offense, but so do the Aces as well. But for them to close out game one, land on top, 99-82, uh, to 82, it's going to be another fight tonight for sure. It's going to be another fight as we see both teams make adjustments. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to, seeing what the adjustments look like, see how the Aces come back out. But how do you think that, you know, the Aces took what happened in the regular season where the Liberty were able to win more games than they weren't, even the Commissioner's Cup, and kind of use that maybe even as fuel going into the the, the first game of the WNBA Finals? Yeah, you got to defend the house. I mean, this is their home court. This is Las Vegas. This is title town. Uh, They want to bring another title, you know, just two wins away. Uh, They're so close. And, you know, this is what they've been working for all year long. And, you know, this is the finals. This is it. You know, every every minute of the game uh, uh, matters. And, you know, you got to lock down on Brianna Stewart. You got to lock down on Sabrina Ionescu, who only scored seven points in the last game. She was one of five uh, from three. And they really made her take some tough shots on game one. So, if you hear the music in, in, in Michelob Arena, you know, it's, it's, it's popping here. But, yeah. um, you know, someone who surprised me was um, Maureen Johannes on the Liberty. I mean, she's kind of their X factor that's been yeah. flying under the radar, scoring 14 points. So um, I think locking down defensively all four quarters is what Becky Hammond has said all year long. But, um, you know, this is finals. This is the biggest show here in Las Vegas. And, of course, Las Vegas wants to see the Aces come out with another dub at home and then go wrap this thing up in New York. Right, no doubt, no doubt. Again, Paloma Villacana is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, talking all things Aces. We'll get into some UNLV as well. You mentioned LeBron James, Tom Brady, and all the stars that were in the yes. building for game one. It was sold out. How, how big is that for the game, getting all those eyeballs and having that kind of star and those celebrities in the house? Yeah, I mean, you had WNBA legends. Sitting courtside, you have NBA players, you have Tom Brady. I think Mark Wahlberg was here on Sunday, too. So, um, you know, bringing both male and female celebrities that are just, you know, huge, huge people that can impact this game. Um, you know, it's exciting. It's really exciting. And, excuse me, to see the entire season produce, you know, the biggest viewership we've ever had, um, the most eyes ever. 
Thank you. I'm already losing my voice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's good. Hey, two shorts. I'm losing my voice because uh, that's that's the week we've had here in Vegas. Right, right. Two shorts performing at halftime tonight. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Super exciting. At least I'm not performing at halftime. Hey, you know. Dude. Right. Right, That's there's that. Again, again, Paloma Villacana is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Well, real quick, we'll ask you about some UNLV, the Battle of the Fremont Cannons yeah. going on on Saturday. The Rebels are 4-1, and one, traveling to Reno. Uh, what are your expectations for this uh, rivalry game? Yeah, UNLV has been rolling 4-1 uh, and one on a three-game win streak. Um, Barry Odom and his coaching staff has really turned that program around. Um, I've been calling them the Russian Rebels. Because, man, their, their run game has been, you know, so exciting, so explosive. Uh, UNLV has rushed for over 300 yards in the past two games. So, you know, we see with the Raiders, you know, they, yeah. they've been struggling to get the run game going. And when you got when you got guys like UNLV, they have multiple running backs, multiple running backs that can, you know, carry the ball downfield and make some big plays. So, uh, you know, definitely hats off to Barry Odom and uh, his 4-1 Rebels who are so focused and just so ready to go up to Reno. They're 0-5, you know, looking to hand the Wolf Pack their sixth straight loss. Uh, but when it comes to defending the cannon, it's, it's fun in these rivalry games. You know, it's wild and crazy in Reno. Their fans talk a lot of crap. So <laughs> super excited for Saturday's game. Um, that game's being broadcasted on Fox 5, too. Nice. So um, little shout-out to, to Fox 5, Silver State Sports Network. Um, but it's been a fun season with UNLV football and talking to Lindy LaRock and Kevin Kruger, uh, you know, when the football team is winning at UNLV, that only has a positive effect and a positive impact, you know, to the other sports, you know, to see the football team winning, to see tickets being sold, to see Allegiant Stadium buzzing. Uh, you know, the Lady Rebels said, you know, we want to go out and win too. Kevin Kruger says he wants to go out and win too. So uh, definitely, man, Q, this has been like the biggest week ever in Las <laughs> Vegas with the Raiders, Golden Knights, Aces, UNLV football, Mountain West Media Days. I mean, right. shoot, what else? What else? Throw something else over here. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I was I was pleased to see that some national outlets were giving the, the Rebels some love yeah. on, on their new offense. And you talk about the go-go offense all the time. Uh-huh. But they're getting national recognition now. That's a big deal for UNLV because that hasn't happened in a very long time. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, they've been scoring 40-plus points for the past three games, and it's the first time in program history that that has happened. Coach Marion's go-go offense is is so tricky, so explosive. Um, You know, they want the ball vertical as much as possible, uh, but then they got some elite running backs, you know, multiple running backs out there um, on the field next to Jada Maiava that can, uh, you know, go and and be a huge – have a huge impact in the game. And then on the defensive side of the ball, too, I mean, man, they racked up like six sacks in their last game, four interceptions. And, you know, so, so UNLV playing playing really strong on, on both sides of the ball. So, man, it's been a fun week. It's been a fun <laughs> week with all the teams winning here in Las Vegas in Titletown. Right. And uh, final question for you is, is about Jaden Maeva. Maeva, you mentioned him. Uh, he's yeah. a starting quarterback <laughs> now. Uh, that's, that's a big deal, man. He's playing some really good ball. Uh, how have you seen UNLV, their offense, really start to click under him? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been like uh, kind of a transition for UNLV from Doug Brumfield to Jaden Maeva. Doug Brumfield you know, dealing with a rib and, and hip injury. But the biggest thing that Barry Odom had said is, you know, he's going to start the quarterback that's ready to go. He's right. going to start the quarterback that, you know, is performing at the level that he needs to to have a good week in practice. 
Um, and, you know, their practices are hard. Their practices are long. They have SEC practices as what we've learned. But um, if Jaden Maiava is 100% ready to roll and clicking, you know, clicking with his receivers, clicking with his running backs, clicking with the offensive line, um, you know, it's a no-brainer for him to be the starter. He's, you know, 2-0 and as a starter. Um, so, so, you know, give the freshman the ball. He's been really great this season. And for him to be such a young kid from Liberty High School, a Hawaiian quarterback, uh, to come out and execute, you know, that says a lot about who he is. And Barry Odom says he spends a ton of time in the film room. Um, you know, he spends almost more time than anyone on the team in his preparation. So uh, it's super excited for Jaden Maiava. And, of course, we hope Doug Brumfield uh, can get better and, and get back in the mix. But Barry Odom's going to go with his guy that's ready to roll. Right, no doubt. Well, we're ready to roll. The Aces are ready to roll. They'll be in action tonight. <laughs> yeah. UNLV will be ready to roll on Saturday. They'll be in action. Uh, I know you're going to be in action. you got the Reb Zone coming up. What do you got coming up that we should yeah. be on the lookout for? Man, Q. <laughs> Busy week here in Las Vegas, but super excited, you know, with the Golden Knights in season and the Aces playing this week and the Reb Zone on Sunday with Barry Odom. Um, we, we had a really great morning with Lindy LaRock and the Lady Rebels, who nice. are, you know, projected to win another title, uh, picked first in the preseason poll. So Lady Rebel season starting, running Rebel season starting. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy time in Las Vegas. Super, super fun. Uh, not only for us, but, you know, for fans to come into Vegas, for family to come visit. It's a great time here in, in Vegas. Yeah, it is. Well, uh, go go in and have a good time at the game. No pressure. Make sure the Aces win and uh, go up 2-0. And, oh. and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right, see ya. There she goes. Paloma Villacana. Looks like it's already getting popping there over at uh, the Michelob Ultra Arena. So you can hear the sounds in the background. The Ace is warming up. The Liberty will be warming up. And Ari, uh, tip-off is at 6 o'clock today. Is that correct or is that pre game show? Right that, here on Radio and, Nation and, Radio and It's on Radio Nation Radio 920. We have so many different uh, signals. We have so many different uh, stations and outlets that we could put them on uh, because of different events that we have. So uh, normally they're on our sister station, ESPN Las Vegas. Every once in a while we put them on Fox Sports Las Vegas. But, of course, we have no problem putting them on Radio Nation Radio 920. And I know MD, Mark Davis, loves to hear uh, the young ladies out there playing and performing on Radio Nation Radio as well. So tip-off will be at 6 o'clock. T.C. Martin will be on the call, and hopefully the Aces go up 2-0 and on the Liberty and then take the trip to New York and finish things off. No reason to play around. Just get it done, right? That's that's. I just want to see another parade on the Strip. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a little tricky with F1 and the way that they've kind of changed the, the Strip so much. Uh, it doesn't even look like the same Strip anymore. So I guess that's a, a problem that they'll have to worry about when and if that time comes. But being up 1-0 in the WNBA Finals is a good thing. And uh, Game 2, again, will tip off at 6 o'clock this evening right here on Radio Nation Radio 920. 342 is the time. We'll take a quick break, come back, get some more locker room sound, get some more texts and calls as we close out hour number two of the show. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. And what I liked what they did tonight was they, they got Josh Jacobs running the ball again because that here's a guy that almost had 1,600 yards last year. When you watch these guys' first three games, I mean, it was just it was bad. They couldn't run the ball, couldn't do much. They, they at least made it an attempt to run the football tonight with him. I think that helped Garoppolo. You're listening to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. That's the pride of Seaside, California right there. Herm Edwards, 
former NFL coach, former NFL player, longtime NFL player, and longtime NFL coach Herm Edwards on ESPN's game night talking about Josh Jacobs. I was going back to Monday night and what he saw from the silver and black, what they were able to do with Jacobs, even though it wasn't a great performance as far as the run game, just having Jacobs involved as much as possible in the game plan is always a good thing. So it's always good to hear from Coach Herm Edwards. He is fun, he's energy, and he knows exactly what he's talking about. Another guy that knows a lot about what he's talking about is Eddie in L.A. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, Eddie? Welcome to the show. What's up, Q? What's up? So I seems like we're trying to make – I'm not not speaking of you, of course, but a lot of the callers throughout the day trying to make excuses for Josh McDaniels and the fact that the the line isn't playing up to the potential that they did they were playing last year. Now, when Gruden was here and he traded away Ronnie Hudson and the other guard away – Nobody gave him a pass. Nobody was feeling sorry for him. They were they were killing Gruden for it, rightfully so, because the line wasn't playing up to par. Now we're also trying to blame the the, the offensive line coach, trying to, he's got to step it up. The coaching portion of this of this line and the offense overall blame should be almost a hundred percent on Josh McDaniels, but also on on Ziegler, the GM. They're the ones that architect. They, they were the, the the prime people who architected this. I'm saying it wrong, but they put this you. team together offensively. They spent the money that they did offensively in in, in none of the other areas, right? That that, that were needed. They drafted a, a tight end, which they don't use. So yeah, yes, Jimmy G could use the run game more than anybody else to be able to be more comfortable back there. But after five weeks, going into the sixth week here. Josh McDaniels can't sit there and start saying, well, you know, it was, it's not because of the run they're not playing. I can't open up the playbook. You need to adjust your playbook to play with what you have right now. You need to coach up the players you're having. You're not going to be able to go out and, and uh, trade for somebody that's going to come in and fix all your issues. That just doesn't happen during the season. So this, this notion about uh, blaming others or the line or, or players, it, the coaching staff – the coaching staff holds a lot of blame on the offensive line, but no more than Josh McDaniels. Fact is, between him and Hoodie, when they don't have Tom Brady, they're not they're, they're not able to have those teams play at the top level that they're used to. Where you can blame coach, you can blame coaching side, you can blame not having that talented all world goat uh, uh, under center, or you can also blame the fact that the fact that they, if they're not cheating, they're not winning. Now <laughs> that might be a cheap shot, you might even say that, but the fact is, both of them were caught cheating. Josh McDaniels, the only time that he, not the only time, but when he was successful, it was because he was cheap. And since then, he has not had a, a winning record as a head coach. And until he fixes what he's got going on within his head and allows the, the players to be able to play freely, adjust the offense to fit what he has, we're not, I don't, I don't see why we're going to get many wins. Now, it was great that we won this weekend. Defense did a really good job. But we're asking this defense to do a lot going forward if we're not asking Josh McDaniels to fix his offense to fit the players, the, uh, all the players' skill sets that we have here now. I know it's doable. we got games that are, that are ahead in the schedule where we can get back on the winning side, get back to above 500. But it starts with the head coach. He's, he's, the, he's the one that's calling plays on the field. He's the one that's directing all, all the tight end, or, or should say not calling enough throw to the tight end, work in the middle of the field, that has nothing to do with the run game. That has everything to do with the play call. So the, the ability uh, of calling plays is also the ability of coaching up your players, which I don't feel he's, he's been doing enough of. That's okay. why I suggested earlier. 
Okay, got you, got you. I, I get it. We're, we're recycling the same thing. We're recycling the same thing. Look, it all goes together, right? I mean, you just told me five different ways that it's all on Coach McDaniels, and obviously he's the head coach, so he's the, he's the head of the snake, right? So he's got to figure things out, figure out how to get – you know, this offense cooking. But that was really the point. Like, how do you get the offense cooking? It's easy to say, Coach, figure it out. Okay, well, what do you think he should do to be able to figure it out? You mentioned throw the ball to the tight end. Okay, that's a good idea, right? And look looked like Michael Mayer got involved a little bit. It wasn't a lot, but he got involved to start the game on Monday night. And so you heard the conversation with him and Vinny a little while ago, right? He sounds more confident than he was even two weeks ago. So maybe things are going to start turning the corner. The offensive line is atrocious right now. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. It's not good. Uh, I don't think you could open up your whole playbook when the offensive line ain't protecting the quarterback. And, and that's something that has to be, to your credit, something that has to be uh, corrected. If they didn't do enough of it in the offseason, then, then, you know, they should have. But, I mean, we're recycling the same, same conversation, just dancing it up and, and dressing it up 18 different ways. I'm looking for solutions now. I'm looking for, okay, so this is what you got to work with, right? It's almost like having a certain amount of money. Look, you only got 20 bucks. Figure it out. Right? What does Smokey's mom say when she sent him to the store to go get some cigarettes? This ain't enough. Make it work. Right? Make it work. Steven in Sacramento, you're up next. What's on your mind? Hey, what's going on, Q? Chilling, man. Chilling. First time calling this season. Appreciate you. It. Hey, kind of just to piggyback off the last guy I was talking. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe just Hunter Renfro is an option. I don't know why we've abandoned Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Considering two seasons ago he was a 100 yard, 100 receiving, you know, pro bowler. But, you know. I, I, I'm not a coach. I just watch, so I don't get to make those calls. I just get to cry about them and call the radio instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was listening earlier, and I heard you were talking about you had a um, situation where you left the game early. Yeah, and, uh, man. <laughs> that was the last time I ever left the game early. <laughs> last time I did that, I was at the game in the Coliseum, and I was watching the Browns. And I remember we were losing, and I was like, oh, here it goes again. This may be 2018-ish, 19. Mm-hmm. And me and my buddies, we all left, and then uh, – into the parking lot, we hear touchdown Raiders, and I'm like, <laughs> this cannot be happening right now. We end up coming back and winning that game in overtime, and I had to watch it from the radio in my car because we left. Right. So that was the last time I ever left the game early. Um, and I heard you were talking about worst experiences at a game. Well, I also was at the Derek Carr game on Christmas uh, Eve yep. that fateful night, and you could hear a pin drop in the middle of that field. It was, it was gut-wrenching. It yeah. was it, it was absolutely terrible. And then I had to go with family afterwards and act like I wasn't sad at Christmas <laughs> dinner. So it was a rough one. Yeah, <laughs> that was. Hey, great call, Steven. Definitely appreciate you, my man. And, yeah, I remember that game. Uh, myself, uh, Mama Q, Little Q, and Little Q, we were all there at that game when Derek Carr broke his, his ankle. That was uh, Christmas Eve on, uh, on, on 2016. It was that uh, Saturday day, that Saturday game. So, um, yeah, man, that was, that was a rough one. I mean, you can literally hear – like a, a a mouse like piss on cotton ball or something, right? It was so quiet in that thing. It was it was ridiculous. I remember my son, a uh, little little Q. He said, "Why is everybody so quiet? We just won." And my older son said, "Yeah, Derek Carr's done. Season's over." <laughs> he was so angry. He was so mad. And uh, yeah, that that and I was like, "Yeah, what he said." That's uh, literally the truth right there. So that was that was a rough one. But yeah, uh, October eleventh, man, nineteen ninety eight. That was that was the last time I ever left the Raider game when it was close. Ever. That was the game that taught me don't leave until it's over. You can never do that because you never know what's going to happen. And having to hear the crowd roaring and yelling and screaming from the parking lot after uh, Wade Wilson hit James Jett on that 68-yard touchdown pass. And then a lot of people just think that the game was over immediately after that. The Chargers had a hell of an opportunity to come back and, and win it. 
right? The Raiders were only up by one point, and they thought that they had picked up the first down on fourth down. Natron Means thought he picked it up, and he was just a, like a football length short, if that, probably less than that. And uh, that's how the game ended. It was wild, man. It really was. It was just. It was crazy to see how it all shook out. But I'm like you, uh, Stephen. I had to listen to it in the car. Not happy about that. 3:55 is the time. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Max Crosby in the Raiders locker room. Plus, uh, what Marcus Peters, Devontae Adams. We got all that plus more as we're in hour number three of the show. It's Raiders Radio 920. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of Unnecessary Roughness here on LVSportsNetwork.com. Brought to you by Porta Subs.